This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. Today we're here with Wharton Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions, Hami Song, to talk about her latest paper, which focuses on capacity issues at hospitals. Hami, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this paper focuses on something called off-service placement of hospital patients. Can you explain what that is, first of all, and then how it fits into the way that hospitals categorize patients for care? Awesome. Yes. Um, so, like you said, in this paper, we focus on, you know, essentially what's the impact of off-service placement on hospitals, patient outcomes, et cetera. And just to start with what I exactly mean by off-service placement, imagine imagine you're a patient, maybe you have a cardiac condition and therefore you need to get admitted to the cardiology service. But let's say the beds that have been assigned to the cardiology service, usually they're organized into wards, are completely full. Or maybe, you know, there are a couple left, but they really want to save them for uh, someone who might be much sicker than you. So what the bed managers, who are these people who have a clinical background, typically nurses, um, whose job it is to assign patients into beds, what they'll do is look around the hospital to see where is there an available bed for this patient, even if it's not a bed in the cardiology ward. So I'll, I'll use ward and service separately. Service is the specialty, like cardiology. The ward is the physical place where those beds are located, right? So if the cardiology ward is full or you know not a, not a lot of beds left, this bed manager might decide to take you, the cardiology patient, and place you in a bed that belongs to another service. So let's say maybe it's a bed that belongs um, to the orthopedics specialty. Um, when this happens, this is essentially what we call off-service placement. The cardiology clinical team, the physician team of cardiologists are still responsible for your care and they're they're the ones who are going to be coming and rounding on you. However, it's going to be the orthopedic nurses in that ward who are going to be delivering the kind of day-to-day -day care uh, at your bedside. So if you are a patient who's in that kind of situation, you have been admitted to a bed that is in a ward that actually belongs to a different service, that is that means you're an off-service placement. And the kind of flip side of that what we call is what we call on-service placement. And essentially, the reason you you might wonder, you know, why do hospitals do this? What's, right. I was what's saying, in what's it for the them? benefits exactly. or drawbacks of this? Yeah. So the big benefit is um, it essentially allows hospitals to address this mismatch problem, mismatch between the supply of hospital beds and the demand of patients. Right. So ideally, we would have an exact match between the two. So you'll at all times have a perfect match between the supply and demand. Oftentimes this doesn't happen. The number of beds you have in the hospital are typically fixed, whereas the number of patients, especially if you think across different specialties that might be coming in, is always variable, right? So um, it's a way to essentially uh, do what we call capacity pooling. You're pooling the capacity of beds across all these different wards, and this really helps you, one, utilize your beds much more effectively by making sure you're not keeping a bunch of beds um, open and un used when you might actually have patients who could, who could utilize them. And two, from the patient's perspective, if your um, alternative of being placed off service is to wait 
for hours and hours for an on-service bed. In the ER, I'm assuming. In the ER, or maybe you're waiting to get transferred from another hospital, et cetera. You know, presumably your wait times would be much reduced if you just get placed off service, right? So in our paper, uh, we're kind of taking at face value this potential benefit of doing so. What we're trying to dig into instead is understand what are some of the potential drawbacks? What are some of the, let's say, unintended consequences of placing patients off service? Because at the moment, uh, we and hospitals tend to just think about what the kind of positive implications of the capacity pooling strategy is, not so much uh, what the potential drawbacks might be. Now, how did you go about studying this? Yeah, so we were really, really fortunate to have a partner hospital with which we were able to kind of talk through the problem, collect data, et cetera. Uh, They kept incredibly detailed records on exactly, you know, which beds are occupied, open, reserved, closed for whatever reason. Um, This really helped us uh, be able to causally identify this effect of off-service placement. So essentially, it's a totally data-driven project. We're looking at not only things like, you know, what's the Um, what are the things that the patient had done to them during their stay, but also let's take a look at the hospital's capacity, you know, take, take the perspective of what is happening to each bed in the hospital as well, and try to really isolate this effect of off-service placement. So just to kind of give you the big picture first, the main things we asked in terms of these potential drawbacks were, one, what's the impact of off-service placement on the patient's length of stay? obviously matters for the patient, but also matters for the hospital in terms of how long your beds are going to be occupied by each patient. Um, Second, we looked at what's the impact on quality of care. So things like 30-day hospital readmission, uh, likelihood of dying in the uh, hospital during your hospitalization. We looked at some other things as well as kind of secondary quality measures, but those were the main ones. Then third, we focused on what are some of the drivers? What are the mechanisms that could explain, you know, why we're finding an effect on length of stay, mortality, readmission, et cetera? And now this is a little different from previous research on this topic because that has looked more at somebody who maybe should have been in a more serious level service but has been put in a less serious level one because of capacity issues. And this is people who are more or less, I mean, they're they're being they're being cared for at the same level of seriousness in their condition. Exactly. It's just in a different department. Right. So that's what we'll call medical surgical patients. Uh, we're distinguishing that from ICU patients, right? So most of us know that, you know, if you end up in an ICU, that means you really, really need a high intensity, high level of care. Um, there's been prior work that's been done uh, asking that question that you just mentioned of, you know, what happens if a patient who really needs ICU level care ends up in a regular medical surgical ward um, or even vice versa, right? Um, what we're focusing on in this paper is actually we're going to set aside all those ICU patients or the patients who really, really need high levels of care. We're focusing on the rest of the hospital. So what you think of as your standard regular inpatient ward, um, the non-ICUs, and that's what we call just regular medical surgical patients. So we're focusing on them and, and essentially asking the questions. And now in asking those questions, did you also do something? So I assume even within that population of patients, there's still a big span of like what types of conditions they could have and whether it's something chronic versus I fell and broke my arm and that sort of thing. So how did you control for that? Yeah. So that gets at a really important 
uh, kind of identification issue um, that we had to address. And that's, I would say, one of the key contributions of our paper. So just to take a step back, you know, it's not like hospitals haven't thought about this question before. They might wonder, okay, you know, we're assigning all these patients, we're putting all these patients off service, what might happen to them? Typically, the the kind of most straightforward way that this question has been asked and addressed is by comparing the means of their outcomes. So let's just say, you know, I'm going to compare the average length of stay of all the patients who are on service to the average length of stay of the patients who are off service, right? If I find that there's not much of a difference, looks like it's okay, right? And you can imagine doing this for all the other outcomes. And in effect, when we even when we adjust for the observable patient characteristics, like differences in severity of condition, even if you're not in the ICU, you know, you can rank those severities pretty differently. Gender, demographics, age, you know, comorbidities, all these things. Let's say you control for all of that. So you're trying to essentially adjust for the differences in those populations as best you can and then compare the the mean of these outcomes, you find that actually there's not much of a difference. So that might that might make you think, oh, off service placement, no no big deal, no problem. Um, but what we really need to pay attention to is that those bed managers that I mentioned to you earlier, whose job it is to assign these patients, they have a lot more insight into differences in the severity of these patients that they're assigning than we can gather from just um, the recorded observable data, right? So what we really need to do and what we were able to do in our paper was adjust, essentially address those endogeneity issues. The bed manager, when, you're, when they're assigning patients to these off-service beds or whichever beds they are determining um, the patient is going to go to, they're working under the assumption that if you can, placing a patient on service is going to be better than having them off service. So what do they do? They look at the patients that they have to assign to beds and they select the healthiest patients, comparatively speaking, um, and place those patients off service. So that means if there are going to be any kind of negative effects of being placed off service, that's going to be almost somewhat hidden just because these patients are healthier to begin with. So it's perhaps not a fair comparison to just compare their means, even if you're adjusting for all the observable covariates, right? So what we do to address this issue is we use an approach called instrumental variables, where we're essentially trying to leverage some other exogenous source of variability to try to make this comparison as equal as possible. And what we do and what our incredible data allows us to do is essentially try to see, you know, what are the, what's the variation in the um, utilization levels or the availability of beds in the service the patient is trying to get admitted to at the point of, you know, this bed manager making those decisions. And then how does the patient's likelihood of being placed on or off service depend on that? So because it's not, it has nothing to do with the patient or their condition, the current utilization level of the hospital or that service, we can rely on that as an exogenous source of variability that's going to impact how likely this patient is going to end up on versus off service. And then we'll utilize just that source of variation to identify, you know, the causal if impact of off service placement. So what were some of the key takeaways that you found when you studied this data? Yeah, so essentially um, 
three big things. I'll I'll say even something that we didn't explicitly hypothesize, just just being able to identify how often does this happen? How how many patients are being placed off service um, was of interest to, you know, the hospitals and other people we've talked to. So in our study hospital, we found that about one out of every five patients is being placed off service, so about 20%. Um, and since working on this paper, I've actually talked to several other hospitals around the world, and I've heard uh, figures up to 40%, right? So just think what that means in terms of how many patients, how many people this is impacting. So that's one big thing that was um, came out of this paper. And then secondly, to get at our patient outcomes, in terms of length of stay, we actually found that being placed off service is associated with a 23% increase in your length of stay. That means you're staying at the hospital on average in our data about an extra day, um, even if your, let's say, clinical condition doesn't really call for it. So that was a huge, huge number. I'll get back to that in a second. Um, and then in terms of readmissions, mortality, that those quality measures, we found a 13% increase in your likelihood of being readmitted to the hospital, also not good. Um, but fortunately, we did not find any impact on your mortality in the hospital. So that's that's, that's a good, good. thing. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we we dug more into what, one thing that was really surprising was this 23 uh, percent longer length of stay. As researchers, when we first saw that number, I thought this must be wrong. You know, there's there's no way just, you know, the location of your bed makes such a big difference in your length of stay. So we had a bunch of conversations with our clinical collaborators. And interestingly to me and somewhat surprising to me, they did not find it um, uh, very unbelievable. Right. So once they thought about it, they're like, this makes total sense. And I asked them, you know, tell me why this this is happening and why it makes sense to you. Essentially, um, it went down to kind of how the physicians and nurses coordinate care in the hospital. So what this hospital has is something called patient progression rounds. These are rounds that are led by the nursing team. And if you recall, while it's the physician, that the cardiology patient, the cardiologists are still responsible for rounding on the patients. They do their medical rounds. The in our example from earlier, the orthopedic nurses on that orthopedics ward are the ones who are actually taking care of that patient, right? And kind of giving you your day-to-day -day needs when you're in exactly. Hospital. Like if you need any labs drawn or if you need medications administered, the orthopedic nurses are the ones doing that. So they're kind of carrying out what the cardiologist that's exactly. managing your case is asking them to do. Exactly. And one thing to keep in mind is that when these uh, nursing rounds, the patient progression rounds happen, what they're doing is they're discussing, okay, for um, today, what do, what do each of the patients on our ward need? And they go around discussing each of their patients and what they do when it's up, uh, when the next patient is up for discussion is they'll pull in the physician who is responsible for their care so they can have kind of a team discussion. Obviously, this is going to be much more difficult to do, that kind of one-off pulling the physician in for the patients who are off service because those physicians are not co-located on that floor, right? So they might be in a totally different part of the hospital. Of course, when the physician comes to round on that patient, they pop in for, you know, a couple of minutes or however long it takes, but then they go off to, you know, back to their home, home base, let's say. Uh, so... The discussion for these off-service uh, patients usually gets kind of deferred until the end of the whole round. Um, 
after they've had a chance to discuss all the patients who are physically there, whose physician is also physically there. Um, And, you know, these people, they have so many things going on simultaneously. Those conversations about the off-service patients might get delayed kind of quite a bit into, you know, the afternoon or later in the day. And by that time, even if that patient was meant to be discharged that day, if you haven't had that conversation early on enough so that you can coordinate all the logistics of getting the patient out of there, that's going to get bumped until the next day, right? So that's typically what happens. And that's why our clinical collaborators thought, actually, it makes total sense that if there's going to be a delay, it's not going to be just a couple hours longer length of stay. It's going to be on average about a whole day's extra length of stay. And it's not a medical issue in some sense. It's more of a logistical issue. Totally. Or even a team dynamics issue. Because I also wondered maybe that they might not, if you're you're, the orthopedic nurses, they probably know the orthopedic doctors really well, but they may not so much on the cardiologist floor and might not have that shorthand that they would have with the people they work with every day. Exactly. That familiarity and the coordination abilities really seem to matter. What you're saying, though, makes me think about another part of our paper um, that I wanted to also talk about, which were essentially, you know, what's driving these effects. Um, Besides this coordination issue, uh, we wanted to get at, you know, many people thought if you're going to place people off service, patients off service, you should try to place them in a clinical specialty that's as close as possible. You can imagine maybe um, for that closest possible um, distance wise in the hospital or closest possible in terms of like what the specialty requires. So the assumption is that it should be closest possible in terms of the specialty. So I'll call that kind of a alignment in your clinical needs or the uh, a match of between the specialty of your home service and um, the, the unit you've been placed on, the ward you've been placed on. That's the assumption, that it that matters a lot more than the physical distance between kind of the I, the unit you, the ward you ended up getting placed in and the ward you ideally would have been placed in. Let's call that your home ward. Um, so we tested that. We wanted to understand which one seems to be really driving these effects. And to our surprise and a lot of our clinical collaborators' surprise, actually, we find that it's really the physical distance that is what is driving this effect and what seems to really matter, not so much the kind of proximity and the clinical specialization, right? So it matters less that you're placing, let's say, a patient of a medical subspecialty into a ward that also belongs to a medical subspecialty. Um, The alternative would be kind of placing a medical subspecialty patient into a surgical subspecialty ward. That doesn't seem to matter at all in our, according to our results. What really seems to matter is that physical distance between the two units. And if you think about it, back to the patient progression round and how that all works out, I think it makes a lot of sense in hindsight because uh, presumably it's a lot easier for you to ask um, the physician from the, you know, home service to pop up if you're just a floor away or, you know, down the hall from one another, as opposed to if you're maybe sometimes even in a totally different building than uh, where your patient is located. So it seems to be the distance, the physical distance that's really driving the effect, less so the 
um, closest closeness in the clinical specialization between the two. Now, logistically speaking, could that also be because, I mean, if the person is, for example, a cardiology patient, but they're on the orthopedics floor, but if they need tests and things like that, do they have to go over to cardiology to get them? Not necessarily. The bed managers are really um, thoughtful in thinking about what this patient's needs might be. They're definitely not going to put you in a situation where um, they think you're just not going to be able to get the level of care you need. So there are definitely some rules that they abide by. So for example, if you're an oncology patient that needs chemotherapy, that's a, that's something for which uh, the nurse administering that has to have a specific kind of certification in order to do. So in those situations, they won't, you know, place you in some sort of, um, other ward where the nurses are not going to have the kind of clinical skills to do that. So so they're thoughtful of that. So I think also um, they're going to try to make sure you're at least in kind of the close proximity of the things you might need. So what does this mean for hospitals? I mean, should they stop doing this completely? And I'm short of that because I'm assuming that's probably a big ask. What else can they do? Yeah, so kind of a couple of key recommendations we've um, made to the hospital we've been working with. One, even if it's not uh, possible to completely get rid of it, they should really try to minimize how often they're using off-service placement. So that means, uh, first of all, get rid of the practice where you're proactively reserving beds uh, with the expectation that you might have a future arrival that is sicker than the current patient. That's that's you're taking a gamble. Um, and chances are that's not quite that time savings is not quite going to be worth the extra um, bed capacity that you're ending up using because this off-service patient is going to stay longer, right? So one, try to minimize the use of off-service placement as much as possible. Two, if you have to use it, prioritize placing patients in a bed that's going to be as close as possible distance-wise to, you know, where they would have ideally ended up. So try to minimize that distance. Clinic, clinical um, match between the two doesn't matter as much. So those are the first two. And then third of all, I think this is especially relevant for a lot of hospitals that are reorganizing or building new buildings, opening new wards. Um, try to a priori uh, really allocate your um, number of beds to match the capacity needs of the services as much as possible. Historically, there's been a tendency to try to have more extra beds for surgical services relative to medical services, just because surgical um, patients tend to bring in a lot more revenue than your medical patients. Um, so that's something that we would actually recommend them to not do as much and really try to optimize um, the allocation from the get-go so that you have less of a need to engage in off-service placement anyway. Now, could they also, I mean, in looking at building new, building new wings to the hospital or even reorganizing the hospital, think about how could we take this proximity issue and kind of work that to our advantage in terms of where we place different mm -hmm. specialties and different wards? Yeah, some of the things... Um, Related to that that we've been discussing is also should you have a couple of wards that are um, explicitly kind of flexible wards where you can take patients from a couple different specialties um, and 
they would all be co-located and also done in a way that it's close to the the main kind of non-flexible wards for that specialty so that, you know, you kind of a priori determine these set of beds to be flexible beds. That's one possibility. Another thing that um, we've been thinking about working on is how can you leverage predictive analytics to better uh, predict when the next bed is going to become available on the ward that you want this patient to go into, right? So if I can do a better job predicting when exactly the current currently admitted patients are going to get discharged, then that means I'm going to know when the next bed is going to open up um, so that I can have a better sense of, okay, if I hold on to this incoming patient and not place them in an off-service bed, how long am I going to have to wait to place them in an on-service bed? A lot of the uh, decisions that are being made right now without that kind of information, they're, you know, trying to use their best guess, but they obviously um, aren't able to kind of go back and look at all the historical data that might have been recorded about all the admitted patients. It's just simply way too many beds to be thinking about. And I also wondered if there's kind of like a patient communication part of this too, because I mean, I know as a patient, you hate to wait. Mm -hmm. You know, you would hate to sit in the ER, but if it could be explained to you, well, if you stay here for another hour, then we can get you on service as opposed to off service. And this is why it's better. Like, is that something? I, I haven't, I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that's actually a really good point. And it goes back to the fact that as patients, we typically don't really notice that we're in an off-service bed when that happens. Um, sometimes, maybe if you've been kind of made aware of these kinds of things, uh, you'll start noticing it more. But I bet you, you know, most people who've been admi- who've recently been admitted to the hospital wouldn't be able to tell you whether they were in an on or off-service bed. And as we can see from our data, this happens quite a bit, right? So um, that's definitely, you know, thinking about communicating this to the patient up front so that they can better manage their expectations around waiting and what that's going to mean down the line. I think that's actually a really good idea. Well, even I was thinking, like, I don't think patients probably have a very they probably don't really know how hospitals work. Like they probably have no idea how this whole thing that's going on before they ever get into a bed or get this or get care or have a nurse come see them. They don't know what's going on before that happens. Yeah. And I would say oftentimes as patients, we would assume, I would assume that the bed you get placed into doesn't really matter in terms of the care you get, the outcomes you might have. You're more likely to think about, you know, which surgeon I have or which hospital I go to as something that matters a lot. And I'm uh, I'm not saying those things don't matter. They certainly do. But what our research shows is that the location of the bed you end up in could also have an impact. And if um, there are ways to try to make sure that that location is more optimal for your needs, I think that's actually a really important thing that we highlight. And what's next for this research? Yeah, so among the things, so one of the, a couple of things that we already talked about, like the predictive analytics or thinking about how to do the um, bed allocation across services to be um, a better matched uh, number from the get-go. Those are a couple of things. But more immediately, what I'm uh, working on right now is thinking about what is maybe the second-order effect, the the effect of off-service placement on those patients that have been placed off-service. You can think of that as kind of a first-order effect that we've identified. But in our conversations with the clinical teams, what's become apparent to me is that um, it there might actually be a spillover effect onto the patients who might be placed on service themselves, but might be in a uh, service or a ward with a lot of off-service patients, right? So you can imagine if I am another cardiology patient and I'm placed on service, 
but so many of the cardiology patients are placed off service that my physician keeps having to run around the hospital um, chasing after all those other patients, you can imagine that could have an implication for the care I get, um, even if I've been placed in the right kind of bed, right? So um, trying to find clean ways to identify that spillover effect, um, both for patients who might be in the same service as those off-service patients, um, or let's say maybe I also want to know what ma- what happens to the orthopedic patients who are in the same ward as the cardiology off-service patients. So um, that's uh, an immediate immediate next step that I'm interested in uh, looking into further. Um, And then also trying to think about, you know, what are different policies and mission policies you can design to try to make the situation better overall. Hami, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcasting app or your other favorite podcasting app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or a comment. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.